The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, through chapter 6, verse 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. The word of the Lord. So a year or so ago, I came across an article from a pastor named Garrett Kell, who wrote about how a serious addiction he had been keeping in the dark, how that came into the light. As he was pastoring in one location and preparing to plant a church in another, the burden of his sin, it became so great that he had to confess. As you might imagine, the confession of this sin would produce a multitude of responses. Let me me share with you a few. The man he was preparing to plant a church with When he became aware of the confession, he he sat down with him and his wife. He was honest. He he told Garrett they shouldn't plant a church together. And he encouraged him to step away from pastoral ministry for a season. This This is how Garrett described the exchange. Most people were willing to overlook my struggles because of my perceived giftedness or personality. But he didn't care about any of that. He loved God, and he loved me. To to bring the church into the conversation, as Scripture instructs pastors to do, Garrett and the other elders discussed specifics of his sin at a member-type gathering. Garrett used this language to to describe responses he encountered. Some people wept. Some yelled. Some stared with eyes that pierced more deeply than a sword. Some hugged afterward. Some walked away and never spoke to me again. So rather rather than leave the church and the baggage associated with sin, as many counseled him to do, Garrett and his family, they decided to stay in this church. And during the course of that time, some people gossiped. Many withdrew. But some... They remained and entered in. Garrett's words again. Many began confessing their own hidden sins. Self-righteousness was expelled and supernatural healing came for me and for the church family that remained. He tells a remarkable story of God's people entering in and restoring a brother, bearing the burdens with he and his family. I read a story like that and I, I know sometimes our relationships are like that. Sometimes we are present with a brother or sister struggling with sin. But other times, we withdraw. We abandon. We gossip. We judge and we condemn. An individual struggling with sin in our church, it reveals much about the health of our relationships and what we believe about the gospel. Now, Garrett's circumstance, that that was the result of his behavior and his actions. It was self-inflicted, if you will. But what about suffering that happens to us? What about when when there's an individual in a church 
that might be going through a challenging season. Nancy Guthrie, she's a, she's a prominent teacher of the Bible within her church. She hosts a national podcast. And one of the things she talks about is her experience with suffering, giving birth to not one, but two children that had a rare genetic disorder who did not live past the age of six months. She, she describes in seasons of suffering the, presen- the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ who entered into her with deep pain, asking her how she was doing, praying for her and her husband, crying with them. At the same time, there were others, maybe because they didn't know what to do, they were more absent. They didn't ask. They were, they were present for the initial season, the initial news, but when things were really hard over the long haul, they withdrew. It seemed like they were wondering why it was taking her so long to get over it. They struggled to enter in. Because of the gospel, there are particular marks or dispositions that should characterize our relationships with one another. This morning, we want to explore, this passage leads us to explore how the good news of the gospel transforms our relationships with one another. So so our big idea will be the good news of the gospel reforms relationships. Apart from the gospel, we experience relationships one way. But knowing the gospel understanding the freedom the gospel brings, it very much changes the way we relate to one another. Your relationships should be different. What are the marks of those relationships? How are they reformed? So from our passage, we will explore three ways the good news of the gospel changes the way we relate to one another. Those ways are less focus on self, greater gospel-centered focus on others, and balanced focus on personal responsibilities. So if you, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. Again, as Eric mentioned, if you want one, we have extra Bibles in the back as you enter, exit the auditorium. You can use it this morning, or you are welcome to keep it. So for the, for the past several weeks, we, we've been describing how works of the flesh— our sinful actions, our sinful nature, how that contrasts with fruit of the Spirit, actions God produces in us as we, as we walk in the gospel, as we walk with the Spirit, different characteristics that are produced. For the purpose of this sermon, I want to remind us of an observation we made a couple weeks ago about works of the flesh. In the list, there are 15 items listed, 15 works of the flesh. And eight of the 15, they have something to do with relationships. It's a reminder that our our sinful nature, it isn't just a personal thing. It doesn't just affect me. In fact, our sinful nature, it can very much predominantly affect our relationships and how we relate to one another. So let's briefly review that list, and and we'll highlight the actions having something to do with relationships. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In our sinful nature, what happens? We believe our achievements, our experiences, our works. Those things are what ultimately provides us meaning and purpose and defines our worth. And so this, of course, affects our relationship. Because what we, what we do with relationships is we look to them. We look to our relationships to gain meaning and purpose and worth. We look to others to give us pleasure. We look to others to glorify us with affirmation and praise and pats on the back. We compare ourselves with others in, in hopes we're doing well and so we can feel good about ourselves. But, but of course, Sometimes when, when we're feeling poorly about ourselves or when we're doing poorly and we perceive others are doing well, well, then we can feel insecure or anxious or we can be filled with shame. A- apart from the gospel, when our relationships are not rooted in the good news of the gospel, they suffer. We experience enmity and strife and jealousy, and fits of anger, and rivalries, and dissensions, and divisions, and envy. Our relationships are characterized by sin and dysfunction. But the good news of the gospel reforms relationships. One way Paul says Christians approach relationships differently is verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the, fir- the first way Paul tells us our, our relationships are reformed or different is we have less focus on self. Rather than believing our worth and our value and, and, and our meaning is rooted in personal achievements and work and, and experiences, rather than being self-absorbed, Paul challenges Christians. He tells them to reject such thinking. Don't be conceited. On the one hand, Don't think so highly of yourself that you provoke one another. On the other hand, don't think so lowly of yourself that you envy one another. He's identifying that dispositions of superiority and inferiority come from the same root. Listen to Pastor Timothy, excuse me, listen to Pastor Timothy Keller. Both the superior and inferior person are self-absorbed. In both cases, you are focusing heavily on how the other person makes you look and feel instead of how you make him or her look and feel. Both want to gain an identity by beating and surpassing others. Both want to be proud and superior. The only difference between the person of arrogance And the person with low self-esteem is that the inferior person has lost at the game and despairs about themselves and envies those they see as winners. So when your worth is established in something like the status of your finances, right? This is is how this works. When you root your worth in, in something like the status of your finances or how well you're parenting, 
or how much scripture you know, or how well you communicate scripture, or, or the health of your marriage, or, or if you possess a particular position in the church, or if you root your worth in, in your ability not to ga- engage in particular sin patterns like gossip, or abusing alcohol, or avoiding lust. Take your pick, whatever you may be rooting your worth in. When when you're satisfied with how that's going, as you look at others, you you tend to be proud. It is is as if you're looking down. Because when you see someone struggling, you're annoyed. You can be annoyed by their lack of health. You can be impatient. You can be puffed up with a false self-worth rooted in accomplishment and comparison. In contrast, when you're displeased with how you're doing in those areas, how you handle money, how you parent your kids, how well you know scripture, your marital health, sin struggles, not having a, a position you connect to a particular spiritual status, when you look at the perceived status of others, it feels like you're looking up. And you are insecure and anxious and you can be filled with shame and you can tend to despair and you can wonder if you belong. When your value and worth is rooted in performance and achievements and status, you will continually compare yourself to others and you will use others. Your ability to build healthy relationships will be wrecked. But when your value and worth is rooted in the good news of the gospel, your relationships will be reformed. Earlier in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he said this in chapter 3, verse 26, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. If if we have gotten nothing else from our series in, in the book of Galatians, We hope you're grasping this aspect of the good news of the gospel. Your worth, your value, your glory, your identity. It is not rooted in your abilities or works or actions or status or perceptions of others. It is established in Christ's work on your behalf. We need to to meditate and memorize and ask the Holy Spirit that we would walk in this truth. For if our worth is rooted in Christ, if we believe that, we have no need to compare ourselves to others. We will not look at others with a disposition of superiority or inferiority. We will not use others to glorify us. For the work of Christ, it has leveled the playing field. We are all worthy. We are all justified. We are all glorified. And if that is the case, conceit, self-absorption, envy, they have no place in the church. This is what happens when the gospel reforms relationships. Let's continue. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So the, the second way Paul teaches how, how the gospel reforms the way we relate to one another is we have greater gospel-centered focus on others. Now, it's, it's not just that we have greater focus on others. It's not just that. There is a particular way we have greater focus on others, and that reflects our belief in the gospel. Earlier, we explained we are in the season of Advent. We are reflecting how Christ has come and will come and how he is with us. The last song we sang, Eric explained, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That, that name, Emmanuel, it means God with us. God is with us in our trials. God bears our sin and our shame. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is with us. Jesus is present. He does not abandon us. He does not withdraw from us. He does not condemn us, but he is with us. He is with us to restore what was broken, and he is with us to bear our burdens and our shame and our pain and our guilt and our suffering. So so specifically, Paul says, when individuals in a Christian community struggle with sin, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So in, in, in a manner of sorts, he is widening the scope of situations you enter into or be with others as they struggle with sin. Anyone. Not just people you're comfortable talking to. Not, not just not just people who, who you think you should approach. This can also be people you, you look up to who are in positions of spiritual leadership and because of their gifting and abilities and personality, you tend to overlook their struggles with sin. Listen, your gospel community leader, the, the deacons of this church, the pastors of this church, they are not above you approaching them about their struggles with sin. Anyone. In addition to anyone, any transgression. It's not just transgressions you believe people should be restored from. It includes transgressions you hate. Transgressions you don't want to talk to people about. Transgressions you're uncomfortable addressing. So in one sense, he widens the scope. But in another, he restricts the scope. The word caught, it is referring to, to sin that is a habit or a pattern or has been deliberately in the dark. This person needs help. So Paul is not teaching us to restore someone every time they sin. We, we don't have to approach them that way. We approach them. We work to restore when they need the phrase spirit of gentleness, it qualifies how we enter into such a moment. In our sinful nature, having a spirit of gentleness, it's a, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. When, another, when you see another person sinning, you can be impatient and annoyed. You can condemn or judge or point the finger at the other person forcefully so they understand all the reasons they are wrong. When that happens, we can be harsh. 
in a spirit of gentleness, we use gentle words. We use a gentle tone. If you were here the past couple of weeks, you know that gentleness is a, is a fruit of the Spirit when we are rooted in the good news of the gospel. When we are walking in the Spirit, gentleness is an everyday result. So our aim, it is not so much wanting a person to be fixed or to demonstrate the right behavior. The thing we want is for someone to experience more of Christ, to be restored to Christ. In some way, shape, or form, they are missing out. They are caught up in lies and deceits and poor decisions. They are not caught up in Christ. They are not caught up in the hope and joy and love and peace he brings. This is what we are concerned about. So so when we approach an individual, when we, we desire them to be restored, our message isn't so much stop sinning, stop gossiping, Stop being insecure. Stop being anxious. Stop running to to Netflix or to men or to whatever addiction you use to numb your pain. Our message. Hey, friend, I'm concerned Jesus is not satisfying you. I'm concerned that you are not believing your worth and value is sufficient in Christ. Friend, I want you to experience more of Jesus. I want you to know that. I want you to be restored to that. Think of what a community committed to restore one another looks like. Someone is caught in sin. Rather than abandon, rather than judge, rather than condemn, this community is so caught up in understanding the gospel of grace, how Jesus loves and came for sinners like you and I, the community enters in and is present, wanting others to experience more of Christ. The good news of the gospel reforms relationships when others are caught in sin. In the case of suffering, the gospel reforms our relationships as well. Paul says, We bear one another's burdens. We do not leave others alone in challenging situations. Listen to theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer describe this dynamic. For the pagan, so this is the non-Christian, for the pagan, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose upon him. The the Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. As I reflect on our church community over the past year, there are so many ways I believe we have done this that serves as a source of great joy with the news of an unexpected death of a dear friend. You cared and you cried, you prayed and you processed. When someone had a child in the NICU or when someone experienced a miscarriage, you served meals and you sat with kids and you called and you texted. 
when someone brought sin into the light, you encouraged with the good news of the gospel. You listened. You asked questions. At times, you challenged. Church, you remember brothers and sisters in Christ in seasons of suffering, and you bear their burdens. Paul equates bearing the burdens of others to fulfilling the law of Christ. Him using the word law in a positive way here, it it may grab your attention. The word is used nearly 30 times in the book of Galatians, and most of the time you hear it, it's negative. Paul is frustrated with how the Galatian Christians use the law to justify their standing with God, to prove their performance makes them worthy. But here he reinforces a use of the law to govern how we live. The law isn't to justify, but it provides direction. Paul is saying the law that governed Christ was to bear the burdens of others. And so the law that governs a Christian community a people who understand who Christ is and what he has done for us, that law is the same, to bear the burden of others. That law governs how we live. Here is Bonhoeffer again explaining explaining this dynamic. God took men upon himself, and they weighted him to the ground. But God remained with them, and they with God, in bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. It is the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross, and Christians must share in this law. They must suffer their brethren. Christians who understand the good news of the gospel, when they look to the cross, they see a Savior who bore the burdens of his people. He he did it not, not when they were running to him, but rather running away from him. As we sometimes think about bearing the burdens of others, when we think of entering in, we feel that should happen when others deserve it, when they are pulling themselves together. Bonhoeffer is saying, Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, such an understanding is not reflective of the good news of the gospel. God came to be with us to bear burdens, not when we deserved it. Not when we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, not because we cleaned up and got our act together. He came to be with us when we were a mess, when we weighted him to the ground. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The law of Christ is not to bear the burden of clean people who are put together, who have come to their senses and asked for help, but to walk side by side with messy people. Only when people are messy are they truly a burden. We be with others, restoring someone caught in any transgression, bearing the burden with others, not because it is easy to do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Such an understanding means we do not dismiss others that are not easy. When others are burdens, when others are caught in sin, we enter in, we pursue, we initiate. 
so that others may experience more of who Christ is. The good news of the gospel reforms relationships. Now before we conclude, I want to briefly address a couple thoughts you may be thinking about entering in. As we think about the path to restore the brother, to bear the burden of others, to be present, to to be brothers and sisters in Christ who bear burdens, as we think about what that path will take of us, we we can choose not to walk that path for a number of reasons. Let me give you a couple. So we might dismiss our responsibility because we read a passage like this, and one of the things we acknowledge is this has been less than the experience we've had in the church. You, maybe you've, you feel like you have not had others care for you in this way. When sin was exposed, others distanced themselves and did not enter in. When there was a, a season of suffering, others failed to bear the burden. On the one hand, I'm sorry. Those kind of things should not happen within the context of a church. But on the other hand, this passage doesn't leave you in a place to point the finger. And when I say point the finger, I do mean like this. This passage doesn't allow us to be a victim and excuse ourselves. You as a Christian... You who are spiritual, that's, that's what, when, when this passage says, you who are spiritual, that's what it means. You who are a Christian, you have responsibility to be with others. Another reason we dismiss our responsibility to enter in is, is because we think this work is far too complex for us. Right? I can't be the one to restore or bear the burdens of others. Thinking about such a thing causes fear or anxiety. I have my own struggles with sin. Maybe, maybe you suffer from anxiety or depression or some other mental health diagnosis. As such, you have in your mind people who should be living out this behavior, and you are not it. You are far too broken or weak or young in your faith, and you tend to think you would only make things worse. Listen to the Apostle Paul. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A little more thinking, this line of thinking less of yourself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So the the third way Paul teaches us how relationships are reformed in the gospel is that is he's saying we have a we we enter in with a balanced focus on personal responsibility. Each will have to bear his own load, so we don't dismiss our responsibility. We recognize we are responsible to serve others. We have a role, and so we don't abandon or withdraw. We don't judge or condemn. We don't excuse ourselves from being with others because they haven't been with us. You bear your load. This word load, uh, it's a word that actually refers to the freight of of a ship. It means you have been given freight. Gifts and talents and experiences and abilities. You, 
Those things are the freight that you carry. You are responsible for that freight to serve Christ and to serve others. Now, such a statement, you have responsibility. It, It is weighty. There is something you are responsible for. But there's also some freedom in this. This balanced focus. There's a couple things to clarify. One, you are not responsible to use the load others have been given. Okay? So hypothetically, hypothetically, there may be someone up here who is very talented, can play multiple musical instruments. Hypothetically, maybe that person plays them at the same time. Right? Hypothetically. You look at that person and you're thinking, man, I'm such a failure because I can't do that. You're not responsible to live out that person's gift. They are responsible to carry their load. You are responsible to carry your load. So the balanced focus here is you don't need to carry the load of someone who might have more gifts or experiences or be more mature than you. At the same time, you should not be satisfied with being responsible for the load of someone who may have less gifts or experiences or someone who is younger in the faith than you. So that's clarification number one with this balanced focus. Clarification number two You are not responsible for the outcome of using your load. Some of you feel like if others don't repent of transgressions, or you feel as though if if others don't respond in a particular way as you attempt to bear their burdens, it's your fault. And you doubt and you despair. Your responsibility is not the outcome. It is to use the load that you have been given. You are not responsible for what that person does. You are not responsible how everything plays out. God is responsible for that. When you have a balanced focus on your personal responsibility, you know you are responsible for only your load, only your freight. So you take what you have been given, the gifts, and experiences, and your knowledge, and your wisdom, and you use it to encourage, and to sit, and to pray, and to listen, and to think, and to feel, and to cry, and to suffer with others. You have been given a life and a load. Don't distance yourself from others. Don't abandon them. Use your load to glorify Christ. Use it to care for others. Enter in. Be with. Now, to to conclude, I want to explain a little burden I have for us, or maybe it's a significant burden I have for us this morning. We know the church is a family. We use this language. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When these characteristics when these traits, when we approach one another this way in in our relationships in the church, even in a small measure, it can be a source of great joy. And it it should be. We We should celebrate that. But the reality is 
like relationships with the family you grew up with, or like relationships in the workplace or in your neighborhood, relationships in the church will be marked by dysfunction. Mary Carr, she's an author or a a memoirist. She has this great quote about family, and she says this, a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. (laughs) Every family with two people will exhibit some sort of dysfunction. This is true for a biological family, and it is true of your fallen church family, too. We're sinners in relationship to one another. Of course, there will be dysfunction. Such dysfunction, it can destroy a church, and it can destroy our relationships with one another. I fear that. So I'm, I'm burdened for how we relate to one another in the midst of sin and suffering. In the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is recorded saying, By this, all people will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So how we relate to one another, how how we engage in relationships, it testifies to our belief in Christ and our belief in the good news of the Gospel. How we relate to one another when we sin. How we relate to one another in seasons of suffering. How we don't abandon or withdraw, but we enter in and we carry our own load. I'm burdened for that. I'm burdened that, that others outside the church would see that. Because we know what Christ has done for us. Because we know the freedom we have in the gospel Relationships are reformed. Let's long for that and let's pray to that end this morning.